This whole thing is about selflessness. This whole team atmosphere is about selflessness. It's about figuring out what's important to you. You gotta embrace it. You gotta embrace it because like I said earlier, you ain't hiding. This ain't a game, this ain't a situation, this ain't a team, this ain't an environment that you can hide in. There ain't no turning back. There ain't no turning back. Don't worry about yourself. You're not going through that pain by yourself. I can't let anybody pass me because it ain't about me. It's about us. I ain't going to bend over because it ain't about me. It's about us. It's about what the team needs. Y'all all bleed for this together. And every time we run, every time we live, it's about winning a game. It's about winning games. It's about winning championships. It ain't about that feeling in that moment. Let's go, let's go, everybody do. That's gotta be who we are. Because when we all chose to come to Texas, we chose to wear the black hat. We chose to be the team that everybody hates. We lead them with our hard work. We lead them with our attitude. We lead them with a chip on our shoulder. We lead them with the we earn out here running. We lead with that we earn in the weight. You gotta break through that barrier of thinking you're tired. Next output when you think you're tired. Show yourself that you got more. Show your teammates you got more. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Tori Beckton, Director of Football Performance at the University of Texas. Uh, getting us started with the gospel today. The most important stat for Texas football in the 2022 season will be time of possession. When we look at the 2021 season, we ask ourselves why so many breakdowns happened in the second half. It's easy to blame the defense, and I'll be the first to admit that the defense was not great last year. The numbers show that. But I think a bigger issue is, which I've learned from rewatching the games, I'm currently going back and rewatching all the games from last year, is that although the defense wasn't great, they were left on the field too long because Texas had a time of possession problem in 2021. And the problem is Sark had an explosive offense, but he did not have an efficient offense. Texas was 110th in the country last year in time of possession. Texas, on average, possessed the ball for 28 minutes per game. If you're familiar with football, you know that football games are 60 minutes. Therefore, if Texas, on average, had the ball for 28 minutes a game, that means their opponents, on average, had the ball for 32 minutes a game. So on average, each game, including their wins, on average, last season in 12 games, Texas lost the time of possession battle by four minutes per game that's very telling now get this on average texas opponents had the ball for 32 minutes per game that would have ranked top 15th in the country so texas opponents possessed the ball at a top 15 clip in the country at 32 minutes per game 
I say Texas had a time of possession problem in 2021. And here's the stat to back that. Texas was 4-0 last season when they won the time of possession battle. In their games against Kansas State, Rice, Texas Tech, and Louisiana Lafayette, they won the time of possession battle. Texas was 1-7 last season when they lost the time of possession battle. In all seven of their losses last year, Texas lost the time of possession battle. The one game where they won, they beat Rice 58 to 0 while losing the time of possession battle. So that game is an anomaly. Sark had an explosive offense, but it was not an efficient offense. And as I'm going back and watching these games, I'm noticing in the second half that Texas is not possessing the ball. And that is the issue. The other team is having the ball twice as much as Texas, which is allowing them to make comebacks on Texas, who had a lead on all of these teams pretty much almost every team on their schedule going into the second half. Let's take it a step further. I've already told you that Texas was undefeated last year when they won the time of possession battle, one in seven when they lost it. Texas was 80th in the country in plays ran per game. They only ran 68.8 plays per game. I say only because that's 80th in the country. However, they were 43rd in yards, so top 50 in yards, in 17th in scoring. They were 80th in plays per game, but they were top 20 in scoring and top 50 in yards. So what does that tell me? That tells me that this offense was explosive. It had quick strike potential and they could score a lot of points when needed. They scored 48 points in 24 minutes against Oklahoma. But the problem is they aren't able to sustain drives. And when you aren't able to sustain drives and when your offense gets stagnant, you put your defense on the field more than they have to be. And Texas, I think, has a defense that can go out there and make plays. And I think Texas has a defense that can go out there and close games. If you give them a lead and say, don't blow this lead, I think they can close games. The problem is Texas in their offense last year asked this defense to win games for them. And I do not believe that Texas has a defense that can win games for them. I think they have a defense that can close games for them. And I think there's a huge difference. When you look at this explosive offense that wasn't efficient last year, let's look at it situationally. Texas had 14 drives in the Oklahoma game, 14 offensive drives. Only two of those drives lasted longer than three minutes. Now you can say, John, Texas was able to score 48 points in 24 minutes. They shouldn't have lost that game. That's true. They shouldn't have lost to Oklahoma. But allowing your opponent to possess the ball for 36 minutes while you only have it for 24 minutes is not a formula for success. I think Texas could have won that game scoring 41 points while holding the ball for 30 minutes rather than scoring 48 points in 24 minutes. Once again, 14 drives in that game, only two of them lasted longer than three minutes. In the Oklahoma State game, where Texas goes into the second half and the fourth quarter with a lead, Oklahoma State had the ball for 67% of the second half, which allowed them to just continuously run the ball down Texas's throat. Texas could not sustain drives on offense, and they ultimately took the lead and won a game that Texas had in its grasp because Oklahoma State possessed the ball for 67% of the second half. That's not a formula for winning success. In the Baylor game, 
Texas goes up 21 to 10 about six minutes into the second half. From that point forward, there's 23 minutes left in the game. Baylor possesses the ball for 15 of those 23 minutes, leaving Texas with only eight minutes on offense. That's not a formula for winning success. Sark had a very explosive offense last year, and he was still able to average 35 points a game given shaky quarterback play, shaky offensive line play, and really no definitive receiver weapons for the entirety of the season outside of Xavier Worthy. But the problem with his offense was that it was explosive but not efficient. And when you really needed this offense to make a play, they could not sustain drives and they could not stay on the field, which led to our defense being on the field more than they should have been. Once again, a formula for success is not possessing the ball 28 minutes and giving your opponent the ball for 32 minutes. That needs to flip for Texas in 2022. And that's why I believe Texas will be a lot better because I think Texas will possess the ball closer to 32 minutes a game, allowing our defense to only have to play about 28 minutes a game. But last year, when Texas was allowing their opponents to possess the ball on average four minutes per game more than they did, is the reason that they went five and seven. The best teams in football possess the ball more than their opponents. And Texas was not able to do that last year, even while averaging 35 points a game. With better quarterback play, better O-line play, better tight end play, better wide receiver play, a better offense overall, I think that this year the Texas offense will possess the ball more than their opponents, meaning the Texas offense will have the ball more than 30 minutes a game, which means the Texas defense will play less than 30 minutes a game, which will afford the defense to be better, which will afford the offense more opportunities, which will lead to Texas improving on a five and seven season and hopefully making their way to their first Big 12 championship game since the 2018 season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet online where the game starts. So it brought me no pleasure to have to talk about Texas shortcomings in recruiting yesterday. But I was really pointing out that this is a larger issue that Texas has dealt with at the 40 acres for the better part of a decade. As I said, since 2011, Texas has only been able to bring in 11 total top 100 either linebackers or defensive linemen, not top 100 at their position, of course, top 100 in the country. And people are responding to me and saying they never had a chance with Anthony Hill or they never had a chance with Colton Bassett. I challenge you and say that's my point. Why does a blue blood, blue blood college football program in Texas, the premier school in the state of Texas, why do they have no chance with the number one linebacker in the state, possibly in the country, and Anthony Hill? And why does Texas, this blue blood football program, not have any chance with Colton Vasick, who was a Texas legacy who grew up in Austin? If that's your rebuttal to me, I ask you, why does Texas, the premier school in the state, not have a chance with two of the best defensive prospects in the state? And I'll tell you that that's my point. And that's an issue that Texas has had for the larger part of a decade and to get to where Texas wants to go is an issue they're going to have to fix. But Texas recruiting is definitely in an excellent spot and they're on the right track. And that's what I want to talk about right now. 
So when you look at their current recruiting class, they're currently fifth in the country. Alabama has gotten really hot and vaulted themselves all the way up to number one. Texas currently sits about 16 points behind their recruiting class last year, which was fifth in the country. And a lot of people were really proud of, especially the investment in the trenches with 15 total players in the trenches. At this point, Texas is favored to land at least four more recruits. Now, anything can happen. We saw the Peyton Kirkland saga where Texas wasn't even in his top five schools. So anything can happen. But right now, Texas is projected to land these four prospects in addition to the 20 commits they already have in their number five recruiting class. We're going to start with Cedric Baxter, who's scheduled to announce on August 10th, one of the best running backs in the country at worst. Most sites have him fourth. Some sites have him first. John Garcia on the show compared him to a Najee Harris or a Le'Veon Bell, said he has that type of skill set. 6'2", 215, fast, glides, sheds, tackles, uh, just a really explosive back who looks like the future lead back at the University of Texas. Darion Gallette, who's likely to announce Friday, August 5th, the edge prospect, a priority target for the University of Texas, having lost out on some other edges. Um, I think that he's a really, you know, athletic edge, somebody that can get to the quarterback, as John Garcia mentioned on yesterday's show. Also had 1,400 receiving yards last year. That's more receiving yards than Jalen Hill and Jonte Cook, a Texas top two receiving targets in this recruiting class. And so really athletic edge who has become a super priority target for the Longhorns as they've missed on some other edge prospects through the transfer portal and this recruiting class. You have Jalen Hill, who's scheduled to announce in September, uh, one of the most talented, li- uh, excuse me, I was about to say linebackers, wide receivers in the state uh, out of Longview has gotten uh, a lot of CD lamb comparisons, um, has good size, really good size. Um, and, and I think that, you know, a future wide receiver room with him and Jonte Cook in it with Arch Manning throwing the ball would be super explosive. So he's down to, uh, I believe, USC in Alabama and maybe Alabama, Georgia in Texas. Most people think he'll end up at Texas, uh, but definitely a priority target at wide receiver, one of the best wide receivers in the country, in their backyard in Longview, Texas, somebody that uh, the University of Texas needs to pull in. And then Jordan Matthews, we know that Arch Manning uh, has done such a great job recruiting out of the state of Louisiana and trying to bring people with him to Texas. Uh, Texas seems to be favored for Jordan Matthews right now, corner out of Baton Rouge. Um, We know that defense is a priority. And John Garcia talked about how he's one of the best corners in the nation. Um, He's college ready, can play in space, um, as so many offenses dictate defenses to do these days. And so um, if they get even two of those prospects, the 2023 class will be graded higher points wise. This is from 24-7 Sports than the 2022 class was. If they get three out of those four, they'll end up with a recruiting class over 300 points, which pretty much solidifies you a top three or four class. And if they get all four of them, I think that it's pretty much a lock that Texas will end up the top three class this year. And there's always, you know, some other you know, prospects that could come about that they could get commitments from. Of course, you have decommitments from other schools that may flip. Texas may have some decommitments and they may have to come and you know, fix some things by signing day or, or, or get some more players in uh, to fill those spots. So nobody knows what the recruiting classes will look like for real until we get to signing day. But I just want to say that Texas is on the right track. And that's on the heels of what they did last year, bringing in 15 players in the trenches, seven offensive linemen, eight defensive linemen and the top five recruiting class in the country after going five and seven. So. I wanted to come back after yesterday's show where we kind of ragged on Texas for not being able to recruit the top linebackers and not being able to recruit the top edges and assure everybody that Texas is on the right track and is recruiting at one of the best clips 
in the nation. Sark and his staff are doing an outstanding job. And I think they still have four really talented players on their board who are probably leaning towards Texas at this point. That would solidify them having a top three recruiting class in the country and would give them two back to back top five classes, which I think will go a long way in reversing the trajectory of Texas football, what we've seen um, over the last decade outside of one season in the Tom Herman era in 2018. So Texas recruiting definitely on the right track. I just wanted to pose a question that Texas should be able with their stature, their brand. And I think the type of football that they'll be able to play over the next few years, they should be able to land the top defensive prospects in the state at any position. And I think they have to prove it on the field, which I think they'll start to do over the next few years. But to say that Texas had no chance with Anthony Hill or to say that Texas had no chance with Colton Basic is the issue that Texas has been dealing with for the last 10 years. And that's why we've been waiting for the better part of a decade for Texas to truly reassert their dominance at the top of college football. Quick word from our sponsors. So Steven Ngati from Fanatic Perspective came on the show the other day and he talked about his most important players on offense and defense this year. And I just wanted to talk about my most important players on offense and on defense this year. I'm going to start with the defensive side and I'm going to say Alfred Collins. Um, Alfred Collins is a really talented defensive player, uh, strong side defensive end coming out of high school, was the number two strong side defensive end in the country coming out of high school. Um, I talked about Texas not being able to get those top 100 linebackers and edges. Well, here goes one of them in Alfred Collins. Uh, also defensive lineman of the year, two years in a row, his junior and senior year in his district. Uh, really a player that brings a lot to the table, the three sport athlete, a player that should not be able to be blocked one on one consistently. And we just haven't seen him live up to his potential at the 40 acres since he's been here. Now, he has been in a bunch of different defenses. This is the first time he'll have some continuity in the defense. I think that'll help him a lot. Um, but I, I just think that we've seen flashes from Albert, Alfred Collins and the word we keep hearing is consistency. When I'm watching him, I'll see him flash here and flash there. There's two or three plays a game where he makes and he says, you say he has the potential, potential to be the best player on this defense. But then the problem is it's only those two to three plays a game. And then the rest of the plays, he's kind of blending in. I think if Texas wants to get back to the Big 12 championship game, if they want to improve defense, because I think the linebackers and the, and the DBs will be really good this year. I think they'll surprise a lot of people. But the D-line, there's a lot of questions about this D-line right now. And I think right now the most talented player on this D-line and the most ready to make an impact is Alfred Collins. And I think if Alfred Collins can come out and have the type of season we've been waiting on him to have at the 40 acres, I think it'll go a long way to generating some pressure up front and also being able to plug those huge holes we saw in the run game last year, which will only help our linebackers, which will only help our defensive backs, which will help our defense overall, which will keep our high flying explosive and hopefully efficient this year offense on the field a lot more often. So I'm challenging Alfred Collins to be the player this season that everybody thought they were getting at the 40 acres out of high school. Like I said, this is a player that should not be able to consistently be blocked one-on-one. -on -one. This is a player that has the versatility to play inside and outside and be really good at both. And we haven't seen that yet at the 40 acres. So Alfred Collins, a huge fan of your skill set and what you bring to the table. And I'm challenging you to, to, for this to be the season for you to put it all together and really explode off of that defensive line and become one of the best players on that defense and become one of the best players on the D line in the country, which you have all the potential in the world to do. Most important player on the offensive side, 
we all know it's going to be the starting quarterback, which I think is going to be Quinn Ewers. The quarterback is always the most important position on the field offensively, but that's cliche. So I'm going to take a word out of Sark's book. Sark says in his offense, the most important player outside of the quarterback is the tight end. And when I'm rewatching these games last year, I talked about how the offense wasn't efficient. And a lot of that was they didn't just have the player that they could dump the ball off to when things got a little hectic or somebody you could dump the ball off to to move the change. Now, I think that Jordan Whittington might have been that player if he didn't get hurt um, in the Oklahoma game. I think that they lost a big part of their passing game when Jordan Whittington got hurt. But also they didn't have a tight end that represented that safety blanket for the quarterbacks last year. They didn't have that security blanket or that underneath tight end that would always be there if things broke down that they could get the ball to. Not only do you have that now in Jaleel Billingsley, I think you really have a true matchup threat. And the problem is, is that he's always going to be a matchup threat because you have to allocate resources to B. John Robinson in that running game. You're going to have to allocate resources to Xavier Worthy, wherever he is, Brennan Thompson, Ajay Hall, Isaiah Nayor, you know, Jordan Winnington and all of these players on the outside, Jordan Winnington probably playing in the slot, that Jaleel Billingsley is constantly going to be on tight ends and safeties. He's constantly going to have one-on-one matchups, and he's a tight end with wide receiver size and wide receiver movement skills. And so I think he's going to consistently win that matchup and give the quarterbacks an easy target to throw to while also possessing the ability to beat people downfield. Like I said, he has the body and the movement skills of a wide receiver almost, but he can play tight end. Um, whether he's going to be a dominant blocker this year or not, that remains to be seen. I know they're going to you know, run a lot of 12 personnel. Him and JT Sanders are going to be on the field a lot, and they're going to be asked to block a lot because this offense is still going to be run through B. John Robinson in the run game. But I think that what this offense was missing, it was missing a lot of things last year, but what I think it was missing was that bona fide tight end that could make plays all over the field but also represent a safety blanket for the quarterback and constantly win mismatches. I think Sark has that now. And Jaleel Billingsley. And like I said, in Sark's own words, the quarterback outside of the quarterback, the most important position in his system is the tight end. I think he got a really good one in Jaleel Billingsley this year, looking for an explosive offense this year that's efficient and able to stay on the field, sustain drives, not have three and outs. And that will lead to a better defense because they'll be playing less than they had to play last year. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, your daily number one source for all things Texas athletics, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Until next time, peace.